Hey there, welcome back to the corner of story and game. Go ahead and take a seat by the fire. Well, this week's guest entertains us with tales of acting, wordsmithing, and gaming. Our storyteller this week is Amanda Cherry. Amanda is a massive nerd who is a working actor, a tabletop game writer, and an author with a new book hitting the shelves, Femmes Fatale. Amanda, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Um, why don't you just tell us a quick little brief Cole's note of who you are, your journey into writing, uh, gaming as it applies. Just how'd you get here? Um, I'm Amanda Cherry. I grew up in theater. Uh, my first love and my first career, in fact, my first two careers were uh, in acting. I'm still a union actor. Um, so role play games, I discovered very young. In fact, first edition D&D on the school bus in 1991 nice. um, are this really cool marriage between improv and repertory mm -hmm. where you're playing the same character every week, but it's all new challenges and it's all new decision making. And you really have to, to own that headspace in order to make authentic decisions. And so I fell in love with TTRPGs really early in life, um, almost as an acting exercise. Hmm. And um kept playing Shadowrun is sort of my my home base for ttrpgs which is weird because i hate math yeah but um but i i love the setting and i love the system and um so i i wrote stories for my role play game characters i wrote a lot of fan fiction a, a lot of fan fiction <laughs> um all through my teens and 20s and really never thought i would write as anything but a fanfic writer. And I was perfectly satisfied with that. Um, I was fortunate enough. I had a corporate job. I was fortunate enough to quit my corporate job to be in TV and film full time. And um, that was working out great, living the dream. Um, I'm the waitress in the Boeing HR video. If anyone gets hired on at Boeing, you're going to see me serving drinks. Um, wow. And I like lottery commercials and a bunch of like, not anything most people have ever seen, but I was working and I was making a living. And uh, then my husband got the opportunity to work in Germany for a year and a half through his um, career. And I was like, why not? Our kid is little, like, let's go live in Europe. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't work as an actor in Germany because my German, hmm, not, mm -mm. <laughs> and it was right at the beginning of Brexit. So I couldn't work in the UK with an EU visa because all of that was going on. And my poor agent tried so hard to get me in for Star Wars episode eight, like you don't even know. Oh, yeah. um, mm, the shots you don't get to take. But so I am chilling in Europe. I'm writing fanfic every day. And uh, a friend of mine throws my name in the hat to write for a superhero anthology. She had based a character on me at my request because I'd always wanted to be a supervillain. And um, <laughs> she based a character on me and sort of let me help craft the character after myself. And um, I said, I'm like, I am going to write about this character someday. And I'm talking about all the fan fiction like in my head. And she gave my name to the publisher. Like, oh, Amanda would like to write a Ruby story. And I was like, not for other people to read. <laughs> No, uh, but then I got a very kind email being like, look, I'm not promising you anything, but you are welcome to submit a story to this anthology. That's cool. I had nothing else going on. Um, couldn't work. Mm -hmm. Was just writing for fun anyway. And I'm like, so I'll write this for fun. 
<laughs> and then I will have this story to tell about this thing I failed at and we can laugh about it later. And um, that story sold. Wow. They bought it. Very cool. And um, I fell down, like physically, when I got the email. I was sitting on the edge of the bed and I fell off onto the floor. Uh, sorry to my downstairs neighbors. <laughs> and um, after like this thing had gotten published, I was talking to the editor who handles most of the work in this IP and was like, you know, she loses her magic in this story. I really think I want to do a book about her getting it back. <laughs> and they went, we published that. So um, yeah, I tell people you can't take my path into becoming a traditionally published author because it's impossible. Like it should not have happened. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then total full circle moment, uh, a month or so after my debut release, I got hired to write for a TTRPG. Um, so I wrote for Acute Paranoia. That was actually my SFWA qualifying project was nice. game writing. And um, I got to Tuckerize my little kid. He's a truck in, <laughs> in a role play game. Panel. That's cool. <laughs> and yeah, so that was, that is my journey. Um, your mileage absolutely will vary. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, every, every time I talk to somebody about how they got into it, it's always different, but that one's, that one's cool. That's <laughs> wild. It was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a common theme sometimes, though. Is everybody's like, you're probably not going to be able to do it the way I did it, but here's how yeah. I got in. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. So uh, the moral of the story is take the shot and talk about the things you love. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be afraid to be the nerd that you are on the inside because sometimes you wind up getting to do really cool stuff. That's so cool. Um, often at this point, I'll ask... Was there a pivotal moment? Was there a crossing the threshold moment kind of, but you kind of covered it there. I mean, that, that really is the, that's the pivotal moment when everything changed. Uh, were there any other moments like that where it was like, you could have went a different way, but you went this way. Honestly, I, a lot of them, oh. like it, I live with like crippling anxiety and imposter syndrome. And so a lot of the time I, have to really fight to insert myself into a moment but then i get there and i feel really at home um i think i knew i could do this for realsies the first time i had a pro badge approved at a comic-con um i had wanted to go and i i just wasn't sure like hey, one book and it's a small press book and I, and I don't know and i was like you know what i'm just gonna fill out the form <laughs> like Worst case scenario, I hear nothing back and nothing changes. Right. Um, I've gotten very good at reminding myself that the worst case scenario is exactly where I am right now. The worst case scenario is nothing changes. Right. So I right. did it and I filled it out and they approved me and I was like, I'm a pro. I'm <laughs> a pro because somebody else says it. That must um, have been cool. And I think, I think that realizing I was welcome in genre conversation writ large uh, that was a, a big threshold moment for me. And um, I still, I miss conventions so much. <laughs> do you still have that batch? Did you frame it somewhere? <laughs> I do. It's it's in a special envelope with like my first Emerald City badge and my panelist badge from Star Wars Celebration. Um, I have, I have like a, a little envelope of things I got very excited to get in the mail, little, little shiny pieces of plastic. That's so cool. So looking back, um, if you could give advice to the young Amanda before she started out on this journey, 
What would be the one piece of advice you'd give her? Get out of town. <laughs> um, I grew up in a small city with a big culture. Um, I have a picture and I don't have it in here with me of me on a stage in a theatrical production with Katie Mixon, American Housewife on ABC, Ashley Brown, Broadway's original Mary Poppins, and Abby Spencer, the star of Timeless. <laughs> we all did theater together as kids and as teens. And at the time, of course, you don't know that these people around you are gonna grow up to be top tier world-class in the field. And what happened, they're all a little younger than me, but they're also taller than me and really pretty. Um, and very talented and work very hard. I don't want to like act like I'm minimizing mm -hmm. their talent and their work ethic by saying they're tall and they're gorgeous. Um, but so that town just like didn't see me because I was short and chubby and not that pretty and standing behind these amazing talents that at the time you don't know right. are world-class amazing talents. They're just your peers. They're just the kids you've done theater with forever. Right. Um, and it was really discouraging. And for a long time, I thought I couldn't be a professional artist of any variety because I wasn't a big fish in my small town. No one, you know, had a crystal ball to tell me the biggest fish in the world were standing beside me. And I was competing on that level as a teenager and didn't know it. So my biggest advice to my younger self and to anybody who is looking for a career in the arts is get out of town go someplace new, go someplace where you can be seen. Right. Um, everyone around you who acts like you can't succeed, it's not about you. It's about their understanding of what success in your field is. And they think it happens to three people. You're not a successful author unless you're Stephen King. Yeah. Guess what? That's, that's not true. Yeah. Uh, you're not a successful actor unless you're invited to the Oscars. Also not true. And people have probably seen one or two things I did, but I made a living for years. So yeah, get out of town and don't listen to people. That's good advice. Do you ever miss the theater itself? The, the live? Absolutely. All the time I, I get, I think that's probably why I like conventions so much is it has that like audience psychic vampire thing that happens. <laughs> um, my, my kid is almost nine. And it's getting to the point now where I could conceivably go do a show because he is largely self-sustaining at this point. <laughs> so I'm hoping soon to, nice. uh, to get back and performing again. This whole pandemic thing has really put yeah. a hitch in my get along. <laughs> um, your, your little guy's not uh, going in the theater. You're not going to be a stage mom. You know, I had the worst parents where that was concerned. My mom was afraid to be seen as a stage mom. And my dad had been a performer and didn't like the idea of me being better at something or more successful at something than he was. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> um, so I am going to not be that parent. I follow him wherever he wants to go. Nice. Right now he plays roller derby. And he wants to learn to play guitar, which is cool. And I'm like, oh, so he has a guitar and like, we're looking at lessons. Maybe he's very much an engineer. He wants to work for NASA or JPL. He wants to be a rocket scientist. He wants to invent things, the space program. That's cool. So it's a lot of science and it's that kind of stuff. If he decides he wants to do theater. Oh, mama is right there. 
Mama too will audition. So if he gets cast, maybe I can get cast. <laughs> I spent a lot of years as a principal performer. I spent a lot of years as like a company manager and a dance captain. I, I being in an ensemble somewhere, I feel like it would be like a vacation. <laughs> so I, I am, I am showing him what it would be to be in theater, but I'm not pushing him in any direction because I, I don't want to be that parent. Very nice. Well, let's pull it back into the craft, the writing. Let's go back to writing and game and, and the craft and what we're here to talk about because theater is another podcast. I'll start that one up <laughs> later. What would you say has been your greatest failure as a writer and what did you learn from it? My, okay. Okay. We're going to, we're going to get real now. All right. Um, I signed with an agent uh, uh, three years ago, or I don't even know. I signed with an agent pretty early in my career um, because we vibed well, because we got along, because I really liked them and they really liked me. And we were each the kind of person the other wanted to see do well in the industry. And we were both pretty early in our careers and it felt like a good match that way. But the thing I do most and best and the thing they do most and best are actually not the same thing. And it took a couple of years and some false starts and some stuff for that to become enough of a reality that we that partnership was severed um, and they had to do it because I never would have right. uh, because I adored them and I wanted to make my success their success also but I turned in a book um, that they were like I can't tell you to trunk this it's good mm -hmm. but I also can't do anything with it so I feel like this partnership needs to end and at the time it was heartbreaking um because I felt like a failure. I was like, my career is over. I don't have an agent anymore. It turns out a lot of authors go through several agents in their career, which is just like a secret that people don't talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was very fortunate. My best friend is amazing. And she was like, come over, hug my cat. Let's cry. Mm. And then let's make a plan, which is exactly what I did. Her cat is a 30 pound Maine Coon and like, he's the greatest. <laughs> so I learned from that really how to draw the line between friendship and partnership. And that I really need to look at career in writing, although it started as a passion, as a business. Yeah. And just because I like someone and I get along with them and I want to do good things with and for them doesn't mean that we are good business partners. Um, I still, like I said, I still adore them and I want all the best for them. But yeah, I write adult sci-fi fantasy mostly. And they really want to represent like YA and graphic novels and romance and just stuff that is not what I do best. Right, right, right. And I don't need to change myself to be what my agent needs. And I don't need my agent to change themselves to be what I need. We just need to have our needs met in other ways. That makes sense. It was, it was brutal. And there were a lot of tears, mm. but... <laughs> I'm better for it. So have you, have there been moments where you've had to apply that knowledge and wisdom that you gained? Mostly in trying to find a home for that book. Um, as I slowly look into finding another agent, which let me tell you, it's terrible. It's terrible. Querying is the worst. Um, 
I have been very selective about who gets to see that manuscript. Um, had I been querying a debut, had I been querying without this experience behind me, I think I would have one just like spammed everybody whose manuscript wish list even sort of mentions right. a manuscript like the one I'm querying. Whereas now I think I've only sent things to four agents, maybe five. Um, because not only do I want them to want this book, I want them to want me and what I do right. and what I bring to the table as an author writ large. Um, and so it it may be years before I find the right person, which is too bad because this is kind of a cute book and I think, I think it would sell right now. Uh, but I would rather, especially now that I know so many successful authors are walking around without an agent right now, so many successful authors are walking around with their second or third or fourth agent because their needs have changed. Yeah. Um, I'd rather not have an agent than wind up forging a relationship with the wrong person. Um, and I don't want to be too hasty to just be like, ah, oh, tick the box, I have an agent again. Right. I really want to find the right partnership the right home for this book and for my work going forward well that's a good lesson uh, hard learned but what kind of challenges comes from writing a book with a partner especially someone as colorful as eric so usually when you're dealing with the collaboration the hardest part is to find a unified voice for the story where it's two people but it has to sound like one body of work. And the editor, a lot of times winds up doing a lot of heavy lifting on that. Um, it, this it didn't happen with this book. We fell into a vibe really quickly. I call Eric, my storytelling soulmate. Like, I don't know how this happened, but it just, it was, <laughs> that part was easy. Right on. Like frighteningly. So for me, the hardest part on this book was that, listen, you got to understand I'm a dork and I'm a I'm a rabid fangirl and I carried Eric's book around with me oh. while I was writing my debut um the first time I met him I was afraid to talk to him like oh. I just kept shoving french fries in my face so that I wouldn't say something so asinine as to have him go home and block me on all platforms <laughs> um so the hard part for the this book was written by accident and it took us like four years because it was like our playground the first, like, I would say two and a half years or more of it, the hard part was imposter syndrome. The hard part was, I'm, I, mm, Eric wrote that. <laughs> I can't touch that. <laughs> Who am I? To, but no, like it was, it was fear of showing Eric what a talentless hack I really am. Like letting him see behind the curtain. And um, fortunately he, he, is kind and and lovely and also a total nerd and yep. was able to like get me over that hump uh, to where I wasn't afraid to write a scene and let him see the rough draft of it where like I wasn't afraid to go in and make a tiny tweak to a character's dialogue because I know her a little bit better than he does and and she would say it this way not that way um that was a hump to get over <laughs> um well, you've mentioned imposter syndrome a couple of times, and that is something that plagues a lot of aspiring novelists um, and professional experience working uh, authors. Apart from the whole <clears throat> just get over it, do you have any tips or any how did you how do you deal with it? Um, I'm a really good liar. <laughs> 
I just, I, I have decided they let me in the room. That's on them. <laughs> um, I am who I am. I have the experiences I have. And if I wasn't qualified to be here, it's not my mistake. Yeah. Uh, it's someone else's mistake and they're just going to have to live with it. Cause you're stuck with me now. <laughs> um, it's, it, it absolutely will hit and I will look around. Um, it helps that my best friend is famous because it keeps me humble, but it also, I'm like, well, I can sit next to her literally anywhere and she doesn't think that I don't belong. Mm -hmm. So that, that helps. But, um, yeah, you just sort of look around and you're like, I am the only person in this room I've never heard of, (laughs) but okay. I get to be on the stage with these people. Then I'm just gonna. Right on. Yes. And, and the thing is then you do that and you're authentic and it turns out everybody else on the stage feels a lot like you do. Like, yeah, maybe I'm the least famous person, but the next least famous person is still looking at the next most famous person going, right. Will you sign my thing? Like we're all just nerds. Yep. 100%. And, um, and if you can be genuine and be authentic, even in a room full of people who are wildly more successful than you are, you can still be valued for who you are as a person mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily how many like orange Amazon banners you've earned. <laughs> So you've mentioned tabletop role-playing, working in it, but I assume you're still playing. Do you play? I do. Um, I had not played in a while. Again, world is a dumpster fire. Um, I was in a a gaming group that went on. We went on for years and years, and then people started moving away. Um, And then I played a lot uh, before I had my kid, and then when he was little. And it's easy with a newborn. You just, like, they're like a baked potato. You just take them wherever, just, like, (laughs) carry them around in a bag. I was in an Amber game up until, yeah, right before the pandemic. Um, And then just a couple of weeks ago, I have always wanted to play in a streaming role play game, always, always. And I got invited a few weeks ago to do a guest spot and it went so well, they invited me back. Oh, nice. So I got to do it again last night. I got to play D&D with a bunch of other writers. Amazing. And they have made a point to be like, yes, the next time we play, you were also invited back. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm gaming again and not just gaming, like getting to do a streaming game, which is something I've wanted to do since the invention of streaming. So (laughs) Is, very exciting is that with dungeon scrollers is that with eric it and them is. it That's is with dungeon scrollers fantastic good good for you it's so much fun <laughs> um have you ever ran your own games in the past were you ever a game master i have um mostly one shots mostly like conventions uh we were AmberCon people there for a while uh, then we had a child and it makes it harder um but yeah i love putting together and running games the yes. uh Shadowrun group I was in for a long, long time. We did a rotation. If you wanted to run a game, you just like put yourself on the calendar and and you got to run that adventure for the team. And um, yeah, convention games, games for friends. I famously spent like 40 hours prepping a one shot to play on vacation with a bunch of friends several years back. And my husband's one shot that he didn't really prep ran all five nights. Because he hadn't prepped. <laughs> so I still have not run that game. I, 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 that was 2008, I think, 2009. And yeah, it's still like sitting in a notebook. That needs to happen. Um, I have stolen from it. 
I've stolen story elements from it for books and for other games, but like it's still sitting there with like a the this was before you could do a Spotify playlist, right? So I had WinMP, I had like all the tracks <laughs> and I have a list of them in case that like my WinMP had crashed. The main thrust of my podcast is to figure out in the center of <clears throat> fiction craft and story craft and game design, there's a magic little thing that happens there where there's a crossing over of all these different fields and, but there's a shared truth. There's a, a creative force in the middle. So I'm curious in your opinion, the intersection of making games, running games, writing novels, writing fiction, and it turns out being a performer, actors, improv, comedians, etc. They all share something in the middle. What do you think that is? Or what are some of the tools and, and lessons that you learn from one field that's applicable to the other? I think the, that the kernel that that is all built around is a commitment to the experience. You have to, whether you're an actor or an author writing a book or a player at the table or a GM shepherding players around at the table, you have to commit to the moment. You have to understand where character is coming from and authentically represent that in whatever you're doing. Um, when you're running a game, it's a little different than when you're writing a book or just playing in a game because when you are writing a book, you are handing story. You're saying, here is story, take it and experience it in your way. When you're running a game, you're making that story together. You're playing, it's not the GM versus the players, kind of like it can be the author versus the audience. As right. far as I know this, you don't know that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you this info and you're gonna eventually put the pieces together. It's not GM versus player. It's we're playing together. This is going to be an equal adventure for everyone. And so you have to have, you have to have just as much buy-in from your characters at the table as you do from your reader in a book. Mm -hmm. If you are going to satisfy what they have shown up to do. So I really think it's just being present in the moment and committing to that reality for as long as you have chosen to spend there. I love that. Commit to the experience. That's That's got some beautiful poetry to it. What's the best compliment you ever had as a writer? Uh, there is a review for my debut that starts out, first of all, how dare you? And and that felt pretty good. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I think the the greatest compliment I have ever received was when Eric asked me to write a story with him. That was just that that's that's couldn't possibly have been empty. It couldn't possibly have been performative because it was genuine and it resulted in a collaboration. So yeah, I would say that was the biggest compliment I ever got was someone like someone I admired and respected so much being like, Hey, we should do this together. Yeah. That would be hard to top. That's pretty wild. So part of your brand as a writer is, um, being a villain, like you seem to have a thing for villains. I mean, when you're, uh, you use the handle, the ginger villain. Yeah. Um, apart from the obvious psychological things we could talk about, what's your, what's your top tip for making a villain that really stands out and holds its own place in a story? The villain is the hero of their own story. They always have main character energy. 
and most engaging, genuinely like interesting villains are not like mustache twirly evil. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a banality and an insidiousness to just selfish, narcissistic, f the world. Um, I'm going to do this because I want to do this and I don't care whether or not it's good or bad. I don't care what the reproductions are for the rest of the world. I care about like my money, my power, my empire, and maybe three people. And outside of that, F the world. Um, that is at least my approach to writing a villain. Like I just make them very self-centered. Um, and, and everything else flows from that. Nice. Who would you say, apart from your own creations, is your favorite villain? Oh, um, mm, I I like Maleficent. Um, I like Ursula. I think I think when you get into nuance, Disney villains are like really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, and I guess she's not really a villain anymore because we've now gotten enough books that she's she's a little more approachable. But um, Annie the Lushak from the October Day series. She was she she was villain of apparent for the first several books. Um, spoiler alert: she's a little more approachable once you get to like books 15, fourteen and fifteen. <laughs> um, I like complicated baddies. Right. Well, you mentioned Malif- Maleficent from Disney. Um, what did you think when they made the new movies that really explored who she could be and how she could have came about and what happened to her as opposed to just this? character in Sleeping Beauty. I get it. And I get wanting to make like a villain centered movie and then wanting to make it more like palatable. I don't like villain has tragic backstory. Mm. Like that's just not my jam. Um, I like villain has powerful backstory and they chose to do bad. Um, I support women's rights, but more importantly, I support women's wrongs. Um, (laughs) So making that like i get the complexity and it wasn't bad storytelling it just wasn't my jam right how would you write maleficent's backstory going completely off here oh ah i was not ready for that question um i i think i would have given her power early on that made people afraid of her and tried to shepherd her in a direction that they were unwilling to explain to her and then an act of rebellion just like any teenager would have that taught her that she could use her powers to overcome those people and having never learned to trust anyone but herself goes out to make the best life she can for herself after the rest of the world there you go so like elsa but without anna Yes, like Elsa, but without Anna. I like it. What is your top tip for a writer that has a couple manuscripts shoved away in a drawer or a folder, um, but hasn't broken into the industry just yet? The first million words are just for practice. Um, If you've got a manuscript shoved away in a drawer, it's probably there for a reason. Uh, You may want to pull it out and it may have kernels of gold in it. And it may just be that that's your story. You just need to continue working on craft and then rewrite that. Uh, The book that I am still having to query some more uh, took nine restarts. Wow. 
I, I wrote nine first drafts of that book before I landed on where it needed to be. Um, yeah, just keep writing, write something, write fanfic for crying out loud, uh, make something up, write the story of how come your mail was late that day, read a lot, um, find authors you like, find books you like and read everything in that subgenre or in that category. Um, and I don't care if that's fairy corn or literature. I really don't. Um, if you want to be a better writer, you have to read and you have to write. And that there's no like shortcut to that. Mm -hmm. um, write the next thing. Uh, then go back and revise the first thing and then write the next thing. It just don't stop. Yeah. Um, you're the perfect person to ask this. Somebody wanting to become an author, working away at their craft, working away at those manuscripts. What's the value in taking improv classes or spending time at the theater doing set design or helping out on the stage or just going and taking in a lot of theater? Is there value there? I absolutely think there is. A place where people sometimes get lost, and I find this interesting because I so came at it from the other direction, is storytelling through dialogue is an art in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to write, um, now I've written screenplays and things too, but even if you're going to just write novels and short stories, you have to know when the characters need to convey the information to each other and thereby the reader versus when you're going to break in in narrative. And I think the more you can experience that kind of storytelling where the movement and the blocking and the talking do the vast majority of the heavy lifting, mm -hmm. the, the better you're going to be at depicting authentic conversation and making your characters able to communicate to each other and your reader what you need them to in, in a way that doesn't break what you're doing. That makes sense. Um, and the theater's a great place to meet people who like storytelling. So if you're looking for alpha readers, if you're looking just for buddies to gas you up when you're like, I finished a draft today and they will clap for you. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. And just go because theater's awesome and we love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing in general keeps coming up as a common outlet for writers. Why do you think that is? Because it's fun. <laughs> um, be honestly, again, if you are a writer or an author or aspire to do that, it is likely because storytelling is in your DNA. And as a writer especially once you are an author in the publication pipeline with deadlines on all sides of you, it becomes very quickly a very solitary and somewhat isolating process. No one else, unless you are blessed with a co-author, <laughs> is going to do your work for you. Right. No one else is going to see what you're doing. You know, I just finished a manuscript that I don't even need to turn in, well, shouldn't turn in until another project is finished and turned in. And we have a pub date for that because this book happens after that book and we don't want to confuse the timelines. And so I just finished a book that no one is going to see at all until like next summer. And then the public isn't going to see for probably another year after that. Right. So 
getting to do collaborative storytelling at the gaming table gives us that space to do the thing we love and are kind of good at mm -hmm. with other people <laughs> to get instant feedback on this idea. You do something that you think is super clever and it doesn't sit on your hard drive for two years before someone can scream in your DMs about how much they loved it. Exactly. You get you get it right then. It is instant gratification in a way that most storytelling undertakings just don't give us. And there's a bit of performance and improv embedded in it. And if you're doing it on a live stream, you even have an audience. So yes. look at all your worlds come together. So apart from gaming and writing and reading, and I'll take theater out as well, because we've already talked about that. Where do you get your inspiration? How do you relight the creative fires or just relax when you're burnt out? Um, I skate. Um, I'm an ice skater. I, I was kind of good in my 20s and now I'm old and have two rebuilt knees, but I still love it. Um, so I do that uh, once or twice a week and I'll just put on music. And again, as someone who grew up in musical theater and as a singer and a musician, music affects me in a way that like maybe it doesn't get to all, especially neurotypical people. Um, so that'll just like, that'll bring on a mood. Mm -hmm. And I always, I mean, I've got characters that live in my head and I'm trying to get some of them to pay rent. Um, and so really the combination of mood and character will put me in the right headspace to be creative. Um, also, I'm, I, I'm an announcer for a roller derby. I still skate with my son's derby league once a week. Um, I try to, I, I <laughs> uh, People make pandemic impulse purchases, right? 2020 was full of people like, I bought an air fryer. I bought I bought a 30-foot sailboat. <laughs> That's a little bigger than an air fryer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so also, like, uh, when the weather's nice, I'll get out on the water and just sit in the sun. I am absolutely a lizard. I would like to be warm and in the sunshine all the time. So I'll just get out and do stuff that fills my batteries Nice. So that I can come in and, and empower these characters to, to go do evil. <laughs> go do evil. On the topic of music, are you one of those writers who need music playing in order to write? I don't need it in order to write, but I usually need it in order to get ready to write. So again, it's, it's the like, put me in the headspace. I do need some noise. I, it can be TV or music or whatever uh, and it needs to if it is music it needs to be music that i know pretty well um but so that i don't pay attention to it hmm. like i can just i can just vibe with it and it's fine um the other day i put on siegfried and it was like listening to opera while i was writing it was great that's cool um but i i music very much gets me into the world of the story i, I grew up doing musicals uh, there are there are songs for every moment. I swear one day I'll do an annotated version of some of these books where I write like what song should be underscoring the moment or if they were to stop and burst into song a la Bollywood, this is what would be playing right now. Um, so I will I will do that, especially when I'm I'm in a, a second pass and I really need to tune up a scene. I will yeah. put on that scene's anthem to get me there emotionally. Nice. I like to do a little creative uh, quick fire round. 
just to pick your brain, you don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole, but just share with us what's on the top of your head. What are, are you playing anything right these days, apart from uh, the role-playing game we talked about earlier? Do you play board games, video games, anything, any other game? Um, I, I sometimes get talked into Lego Star Wars or like Mario Kart by my kid. He, he loves video games. Um, but I'm very bad at video games and I have arthritis in my hands. So I usually save my manual dexterity for typing. Mm-hmm. Um, I occasionally will play a board game. I get really competitive and so my family doesn't like to play board games with me. <laughs> <laughs> Flip the table and yeah. Um, the, the most often game I play is, is, you know, I turn on my GPS and tell it where I'm going and it gives me a time to beat. Yeah. What's the one interview question you've always wanted somebody to ask you, but nobody has asked you yet? You know, the big one actually is something that we covered earlier, uh, which is the like when I was able to talk about if someone tells you that they don't think you're going to succeed or like asks what your fallback thing is, um, that it's not about you. It's about their understanding of success in your field. And it's not that they don't think you can succeed. It's that they don't think people succeed at that. Um, that was always something I'd wanted to talk about in an interview and I finally got to. So Excellent. What keeps you up at night these days? Um, (laughs) the weather it's cold here. Um, (laughs) this is the time of year when like my anxiety goes banana pants because I've been doing NaNoWriMo for so long and I, I can't not do it at this point. It's so just the weather turns and I, I must go right. Um, and it's also my kid's birthday and my birthday. And this year I've got a book launch thrown in and then I need to do like the holiday shopping. I used to do a holiday show that rehearsed in November, opened black Friday and was every single day until Christmas Eve. So I had to be done with holiday shopping by Thanksgiving. Right. Because I had no time. My entire life was this show. And I loved it and it was worth it. But when I had a very little kid, that was that was a lot. So I still get that anxiety. Like I still get show stress dreams. And I'm like, I'm not in the show this year. <laughs> It's okay. I actually have time in November and December, but I, that hits me. So it's just that like end of year, everything all at once kind of a thing is, uh, but I've, I've had insomnia my whole life. So pretty much just existing keeps me up at night. As somebody who's done NaNoWriMo for 18 years and, and was heavily involved for a very long time, it's that time of year. Give us a quick pitch to anybody who's you know, thinking of jumping in or looking at it next year, hasn't done it before. Why do NaNoWriMo? Um, I did a whole series on TikTok called Na- hashtag nano yes or no. So like if you want to deep dive on this, everybody can just go look at my TikTok. But the main thing that I would say to someone who has not found themselves discouraged from doing it is like, if you go in, if you've always wanted to have, if you think you have a story to tell and you've always wanted the chance to do it and just have never taken it, um, or maybe you're a fanfic person and want to see what original fiction feels like, or maybe you're a hobby writer and you wonder if you can develop the discipline to write at a pace and a level that would allow you to go pro someday. Like it's worth a try. Mm -hmm. NaNoWriMo offers a bunch of tools and gamification and community. Um, And if you go in with the experience as your focus and not the output as your focus, that it's less about, I'm going to write 50,000 words, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, and more, I'm going to do this thing, Mm -hmm. this worldwide creative thing with all these other people. 
and just like see what happens. Maybe you're going to come out of it with 50,000 words of a story that didn't exist in the real world before then. And that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but maybe what you're going to come out with is an understanding that crash drafting is not for you. Uh, maybe what you're going to come out with is a bunch of new friends or beta readers. Uh, fun story. The first write-in I ever walked into November the 1st of 2004, uh, I was working. I had some friends I met on the forums and, and then like in walked this guy like late who was way more interested in talking than he was um, <laughs> writing. And we will have been married for 16 years in March. Aww. Like I met my husband at a write-in. I met some of my best friends, most of my bridesmaids at a write-in. Um, my One of my best friends met her husband at a write-in. I met the people who eventually became my publishers at a write-in. Like it's it's a great way to make friends. It's a great way to get words down on the page, learn a little bit about yourself as a writer, as a creative person, learn a little bit about the, uh, the process. Um, and yeah, I just, it's, if you can go in it with the mindset that this is going to be fun because I'm going to make it fun for myself. It's yeah, do it. Do it. What are you currently working on that you're excited about? And what does everybody need to know about? And that one's pretty obvious, but I'll let you do it. Okay. What I am currently working on is um, when we turned in Femmes Fatale, our editor tore through it. She was back in our inbox in like four hours. Uh, now granted, it's a novella. It's not that long, but She's like, um, I love this, but because she's the editor and if there wasn't a, but it wouldn't have been an email from your editor. <laughs> she's like, really? There's too much epilogue. Like there's too much at the end. We get that the romance is the A plot, but like once the, the, the danger has passed, there's too much. So really what the, the best course of action here is that we split this into two books. Then we cut it off here and then you can weave this stuff into another novella. Nice. And so that's what I'm really excited about is we're doing a second book and, um, and we're, I don't know, maybe halfway through doing it. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. So we're having a, we're still having fun. And uh, the words third book have come out of Eric's mouth and um, I will work with him until he like, literally blocks me on all platforms like he's gonna have to tell me to go away so um yeah that's that's exciting is that we're we're working on a sequel so that is exciting what does the future hold for amanda let's say five years down the road where do you want to be um i want to be uh back doing conventions like way more like i want the world to feel safer and um to be the kind of place that i can just go um, especially San Diego Comic-Con. I really want to do San Diego Comic-Con. Um, I want, I mean, I just, I want to still be doing this. I want to be writing my evil girls for my delightful small press. Um, I would like to have found the right agent for this book that took me nine restarts. Uh, five years from now, I would like to have it possibly on a bookshelf somewhere and maybe it is a standalone with series potential mm. um would like to be working on her second book um and uh taking my boat out more and <laughs> where can people find you online i am at manda the ginger on both twitter and tiktok and those are my most often used platforms uh, my website is thegingervillain.com and i do try to update that when i'm making appearances places i need to go check and see if i have uh these book launch events on there actually that's <laughs> i should update my website um 
and I'm I'm on Discord at Manda the Ginger. I've started using Discord a little more, and um, yeah, that's that's nice. mostly where. <laughs> so you're doing um book launch events. Indeed, um, we got a little party on my birthday. That's a private thing, but I bought Oreos with my cover art on them. That's cool. Yeah, I'm. I am nothing if not extra. Um, then we're being interviewed on QuarrenCon's YouTube channel. That's November sixteenth, November eighteenth. That's the Friday night. I we're at Main Street Books in Monroe, Washington. Then the Saturday night, November nineteenth, we are at the Book Rack in Friday Harbor. And I think there's, but that may be it. That may be it right now. I've got a cut two that are still like up in the air that we haven't quite scheduled yet and that's that's a lot for a small press book like our local book community is really turning out for us and it's very exciting it's very exciting are you doing readings at all uh we will be reading at both of those bookstore events uh i was able to do a reading at worldcon this year nice uh yeah turns out turns out i was two votes away from being a hugo nominated writer this year what? Wow. So yeah, I got I got to do a little reading from Femme Fatale at Worldcon, and I did one live on my TikTok. I'm probably gonna do another one. Actually, we may go live on TikTok from Main Street Books. We may do like our TikTok and their TikTok, and maybe Bookshop.org's TikTok. Like we're trying to we're trying to be hip for the youth. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll probably do some virtual readings, and we've got these two so far in bookstores and. We're just real excited. These these two women are the two worst people on the face of the planet, and that's what makes them perfect for each other. I can't imagine the energy when you and Eric are reading those characters in a in a, in a venue. That'll be some lucky people are going to get to watch something really cool. We we do we do have a good time. I we do. I would imagine. <laughs> well, uh, let's all keep our eyes out for that book and grab it when it comes out. And I would like to thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me. These are always super fun. Be sure to push your chair in on the way out, and please don't let that snow in. Remember, there'll be a cozy spot waiting for you by the fire the next time you stop by the corner of Story and Game.